Okay, so the plan today is we're going to listen to uh, some clips from an interview with Christopher Hyatt, who is the originator of the phrase bio-individual, which we're using for the name of this podcast. So we thought we'd talk a bit about him and why we called the podcast bio-individual. Um, but, but to do that, it would make sense for us to play some clips of him talking. This is from a, an interview he did many years ago called, I think it's called The Extreme Individual. And uh, you can get it from Original Falcon uh, Publishing Company. And uh, it's pretty interesting. He was ahead of the curve in a lot of stuff he was talking about then that seems obvious to many people now, but wasn't then. Uh, I think this interview is from maybe early or mid-2000s. I'm not sure. 2005, so, I worked it out. 2005. He, I'm pretty sure they mentioned Tim Leary died 10 years ago. And I think he died in 1995. 1996. So yeah, it'd be somewhere right. around there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's kick it off. So the format of this, I guess, is we're just going to go through, play um, a bit of this clip and just comment on it. Um, Kevin, feel free to stop me whenever you want because I've, I've got control sure. of the uh, file here. But I, I have uh, tried to, to um, clip it up into segments and I did remove some segments. So the interview is not complete, but I think I kept the um, relatively relevant parts. Okay, so I'll just kick it off. Let's start by talking about the way the term psychopath has been stigmatized with the idea of the violent psychopath being the most prevalent one and what effects that has had on the way people think about psychopaths. The way I'm using the term is a deliberate play on what you said. I am saying that what the common people, the essence of our planet would say is that individuality in its essence is a pathology. Mm -hmm. And if you begin to think about it, for an example, there was a book written about Kundalini and uh, the subtitle was Transcendence or Insanity. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Uh, sounds familiar. I haven't read it, though. Yeah. Yeah, I read it years ago. Mm -hmm. The point is very simple. True individuality is regarded, particularly in Western culture, as a mental illness. Now, for the hell of it, I just differentiated between the sociopath and the psychopath. The psychopath is an older term and relates more to the idea of a person where socio, of course, relates to the group. Mm -hmm. So for the group mind, psychopath and sociopath are really the same thing. There are people who are over and against the paradigm of reproduction, consumption, two chickens in every garage, <laughs> and a car in every pot. Mm -hmm which is particularly the American ideal. Europe is a bit more open to true individuality than the United States is. This is a very conformist society. True. And that goes from the best universities uh, down to the slums. Mm -hmm. The only people who do not understand the truth of this, uh, the truth of the essence of commonness, you might say, are the lower 
middle class all the way up through what we normally consider the upper class. The real lower class people, the people in the street, understand. Mm -hmm. And also the super wealthy, the super powerful, which are beyond our normal comprehension of what powerful means, they understand. But the rest of mass man doesn't understand at all. Mm -hmm. if, if I remember correctly, there's only 600 known billionaires in the world. Now think about that. 600 known billionaires. Those people, they know. Most of my readers, and I would say most everyone, does not know, for an example, in many areas of the planet, groups of these people get together, the fathers with their sons, and they have private meetings for a week or two, where they indoctrinate their sons into the secrets of the world. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not the Illuminati, as people so glibly throw about such phrases. These people really do things. They make things happen. And the people at the low end make things happen also. The ones in the middle, the big middle, these are, in essence, your true common folk. The ones who live with cliches, the ones who live in slogans, the ones who live in fantasies, the ones who have ideals while the whole world is falling down around them there, holding up these ideals and fantasies of how things really are. These are the common people. Yes, they know how to take advantage of any situation, whether it's peace or whether it's so-called chaos. Mm -hmm. Their goal is to better themselves and their genetic strain. <laughs> so, so I guess... Um, he doesn't like the middle class all that much. <laughs> I was reminded of that when I when I was listening to it. But I, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, particularly, yeah. I guess probably the first place to start is the idea that indiv individuality is perceived as pathology in the West. Um, I know you had some stuff to say about this. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> it's unusual for um, people in uh, involved in like what we normally call spiritual practices to actually take the the in the other side of things into account. They, they get lost in the abstract spiritual practices and you know chasing enlightenment or whatever it is they're into, and often they just completely forget about the fact that they're a biological individual organism on the planet with you know under biological rules. Uh, rules of the environment around them and all these things. Um, so, and everybody's going to be different and comes from different situations. Everyone has a different situation, a different body, different minds, whatever. So, uh, it's quite calm. I mean, if you look at a lot of the people in the spiritual practices, it's clear they don't, they, they might be talking a lot about the body and things like that, but they, they often um, are ignoring their body. So we've talked before about someone like Eckhart Tolle, uh, you know, t is all about awareness and uh, being conscious and all those kind of things. And then if you look at him, he looks kind of, it looks like a grub to me. He's like, he's shaped like a grub 
<laughs> looks, he has a bit of a look yeah. like a grub. Like and a I, I don't mean this just for... But at the same time, I'm not disputing he's had some kind of spiritual realisation or whatever, because he clearly has. But at the same time, he doesn't seem at all um, connected with the biological individual reality of being a, a, an organism, just by looking at him. So that's just one, yeah, just one example. So, mollusk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so to so what was what's interesting about the the whole concept of a bio individual is to take both of those things into account. So you want to transcend the kind of human condition, but also at the same time, you don't want to pretend that you're not in a body or are a body in a body, however you think about it. Um, and that you need to develop both sides of it. So I don't just mean, oh yeah, you should go to the gym and you should also read books. <laughs> That's like a kind of really simplistic idea of what we're saying here um, and what Hyatt is talking about because for him, real personal development, real spiritual evolution involves uh, doing things with the body in order to to change your brain and to change your deeper personality and to take control of yourself. So one of the things that's always annoyed, it's annoyed me a lot is the way people involved in um, vaguely called spiritual practices tend to, um, it tends to be an escape from the being more of an individual and being more conscious and in control of yourself. They tend to just try and get out of, they're trying to escape things and just let it all happen by themselves. So you'll find them going through a lot of different techniques and things to, um, they're just, they just, they don't want to stop being a machine. They just want the machine to run more pleasantly. That's basically what it boils down to. Uh, Hyatt and others, um, it's, it's not just, it's not as simple as that. They want to be more conscious and in control of yourself, which means uh, not just letting things happen. So obviously you can't control everything. It's understanding what you can control and what you can't control. So part of being an actual individual and not just being at the mercy of all your habits, uh, all your um, everything from you know genetics to upbringing to uh, the your people around you to social media, whatever, is you have to use that little bit of conscious awareness of. Um, uh, you know, like, uh, um, that, that, the little sense you have of actually being an individual in order to doing things with yourself. And then most of the time things are just happening around you, but there's that little spark in you. You have to develop that and actually do things with your body, to your body, in your life, actually do things rather than read about them and talk about them. And through that, uh, through doing that over time, you'll begin to change and actually become a real individual rather than just a, a bag of a bag of habits, mental and physical habits. And uh, Hyatt was one of the first person really in introduced me to this whole way of thinking about things because before that, you think you're already a free individual. You think you have free will. You think you can do anything you want to. You're just choosing not to at the moment. But then if you really actually try and change yourself or you really try and, I mean, everyone experiences this, but they just try and make like normal meditation. You just can't stick to it. Your mind just keeps flattening to other things. Your body keeps fidgeting. Well, we're doing that all the time. Even if you learn to meditate, some of the med meditators are some of the most reactive people I've met. People do a lot of meditator, meditating. It's not a, it's not a fix for it. Uh, and again, a lot of them are just trying to escape and a lot of them are just doing psychology. They're just thinking about their feelings and stuff. So they're not actually working on being a 
more in command of themselves and not just learning how to command yourself, but learning how to be yourself. Uh, you can call it self-discipline or you can call it becoming an individual. And the big part of that is it's your body is involved in this all the time in the physical world. It's not just things you do in your head and just dream up some nice, exciting mental models in your head and, and think now you're, or do some uh, posting on the internet about politics and thinking you're changing this kind of thing. It has to start with you getting more in control of your own uh, physiology, more in control of your own, your own movements. Uh, and then from there, then you can actually start changing other things. Mm. <clears throat> well said, yeah. Yeah, just to to go back to um, part of uh, what you were saying about developing yourself as an individual, um, ju just as an example, I know that having done, well, done a species of this kind of work from someone that worked with Dr. Hyatt, um, there's, there's a lot of quite boring, not boring, but very worldly work. So it's it's not very exotic. It's not kind of necessarily very sexy. So it's not like organized pyramids or magical rituals or anything like that. Uh, it, most of the work that, at least in my experience, uh, he encouraged was um, really um, measuring how you act in the real world. And then if you're deficient at something and you want to be good at it, actually going and learning how to do the thing, even if it didn't necessarily benefit what you thought you wanted to do. So for example, it's a little bit like behavior, cognitive behavioral uh, therapy in many ways. I think he was implementing for a large part of this kind of work. So it could be something like if, if you have a, a personal self-perception or you were brought up on the streets, which is something he references there, or maybe you're from a working class background or something like that, he might tell you to put on a tuxedo and go to a, a meeting with a bunch of lawyers. Uh, just just to put yourself in a situation that you're not use, used to, but it's not in the sense that he wants you to go there to go and study law and meet all these people. It's more that you need to go into the situation to prove to yourself that you can you can actually do something. Like you're you are introducing yourself to a new environmental frame, um, of which you then measure your reactions against it. You observe your reactions against it, and you use that external stimuli as almost a way of going deeper into yourself and overcoming those barriers. So it's just a, a good example of in practice how how a lot of what he he promoted works it's kind of like a uh, little bit like cognitive behavioral therapy but not not with the same aims not to adapt you to a situation that you might not be happy in it, it was more to break out of that uh, restrictive character that uh, animates most of us most of the time yeah, to, yep, to yep. bring up your reactions, so you're going to have physical and mental and emotional reactions to new situations. And then once yeah, you bring them up, yeah. then you can start seeing what yourself, to see yourself as you really are. And then you can start trying to change things based on that. Um, yeah. And yeah. all this while, this is the process of constructing yourself as a bio-individual. You're, mm. you're seeing the reactions, you're then intervening in, in your body's habits, you're intervening in your mind's habits. I mean, who's, who's doing the intervening? So it's like there's there's a part of you, you're developing a sort of conscious control part of you. It's not like a top-down separate thing from you. It's, you know, it's within the same system of you. 
and um, but you're developing it, so you, yeah. <clears throat> uh, you need something to work with, and you'll just be going around deluding yourself. I mean, your current sense of self is not not even a reflection of, but it's been built on all of these physical, mental, emotional reactions you have. So as you start changing these, your sense of self will change, and it gets doing the work. In the work always means doing things that you don't want to do in that moment. There's no way around this. You have mm. to do small things or big things you don't like. So that, for example, the person going into the dressing up in new clothes, they already feel awkward and weird. Going to a situation that they don't feel comfortable in, they're already awkward and weird. Uh, this is already, um, they're making themselves do something they wouldn't want to a large part of them doesn't want to do it. Part of them is saying, no, I'm doing this because I have a plan. I'm trying to change myself. I'm trying to have more control over myself. And uh, there's many ways you can do it. And uh, so, like, th there's the cognitive side of it. Um, but then there's also, the, you know, your, the, the body work side of it as well. But it's it's not about just getting into the body and letting the body do its own thing. It's not that. This is the mistake people constantly make. That it's all about letting things happen by themselves and nature is best and... Um, all this stuff and it, it's it's just not true that's just like a just a nice fuzzy feeling robot now rather than an uptight tense robot like before you're still not actually a as we're saying a bio individual yeah and and really if you think about it this this entire process is really the very process of self-overcoming but i mean what else could it be like this is literally the process of of directing consciously directing your own biochemistry to aims that you you have consciously um, come up with and want and desire, so I, I think that it's it's kind of I can I can see why people want more exotic things. I, I can see why they want more exotic answers. They want gods and books and nice feelings about like I've read the book now I'm now I'm the overman and and all this stuff. But you know a lot of this work is very very pedestrian. It's kind of very. It's, it's it's like it's not special as such you know like it, it's really about confronting yourself in in everyday situations uh and and understanding yourself through that paradigm the other uh, interesting element that he referred to um well i think you referred to actually it, it was his uh reluctance um to embrace words as as a means of of self change which is where i get my rabid anti well not anti-language i'm definitely not anti-language i'm not anti-words but but what i've spent a lot of my time on is trying to understand what their true place is and he for me was the first one that really introduced me properly like aggressively to this notion that you know it really doesn't matter what you say um you know, because, you, you know, you can think yourself good in the situation with all the lawyers at the party in the tuxedo. You can think yourself in any myriad of ways, any number of ways. But at the end of the day, when the rubber hits the road, what matters is you acting in space um, with as much flexibility as you possibly can, because that, that's all that, that really happens in life. That's what, kind of what life is when you think about it. It's not sitting down and imagining and having fantasies. And his, really, I think his whole modus operandi, his whole work was was breaking down that tendency human beings have towards imagining and fantasizing and using language and symbols to do so. 
And when you go through his books and uh, the literature that he recommends, uh, it's all aimed towards really just breaking that down, breaking down the self-image that's derived from this kind of thing and, and really just pushing people to act in the world. One of the things he used to bring up quite often was this idea of superiority, the feeling of superiority that people have. And at the time, I think, well, at least in the recordings I heard, he was mostly referring to spiritual types because that's the, the milieu that he came from. Um, obviously with the Golden Dawn stuff and Israel Regardi and all those kinds of people. But uh, I do remember him being repulsed by this kind of idea that people can think themselves superior and spiritual types are particularly prone to this. It's that maybe you have a kind of semi-awakening experience. It could be the case that you think that you've had one and you didn't really have one. Um, it could be the case that like in your, I guess in his case, Golden Dawn Temple, you could put on a silly costume and invoke all these different words, whatever it is, um, you know, you can, you can imagine a hundred different examples of this, not just spiritual ones. Uh, but I liked him because he had this idea that really you're just, you're imagining that you're superior and that is like kind of a dangerous place to be. And I, I see that, you know, all over Twitter all the time because I'm going to use Twitter because that's kind of where we all are. It's just pure fantasy all the time. Um, it's pure imagination. It's, I read this book, therefore I have a new set of words, a new vocabulary, and I'm going to use the vocabulary against people that don't fit into my abstract conception of what's right, while the whole time you may not fit into the abstract conception of what's right, but no one ever thinks to point this uh, reasoning back at themselves. I think that the the danger of the superiority complex is it really fits well with human narcissism, like all these kind of lower tendencies that really can can kind of fuck up our lives in many ways, uh, or make us less than what we could be. It, I feel like it's this narcissism and this it's this tendency towards thinking ourselves superior that is the thing that really gets in the way of any of this effective uh, individualist work. Uh, I always appreciated him because he he was quite, not vicious, but he was abundantly clear that all fantasies are to be avoided at all costs. And he made it very clear the role that language plays in that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's very interesting to listen to him again after so many years. Cause you know, for many years, I, I kind of let this whole, not, I didn't let it go, but I'd done a lot of work with it, you know, and, and I, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of exercises and obviously you have the Reikian side of things, but, um, it, it's funny just coming back to all this stuff now. I'm like, damn, like I, you know, basically what I think is what he thinks. <laughs> I just like, I, I've only really now understood how much he's, he's influenced me. Um, because yeah, it, it's many of these kinds of things, uh, that he's speaking about, about here. And of course, yeah, I remember, yeah, sorry, sorry. Go. I, no, I, I remember reading him in my, you know, like around about 20 and, uh, the, like I agreed with all the concepts and I found it all exhilarating and, you know, freeing and all that, but then you just go about your reactive, repetitive, uh, and free life because you haven't done the work. 
to really understand and know the concepts he's talking about. You can understand it on an intellectual level, and then you have to kind of you have to do real self work uh, through your life. And then, as I'm like you, as I go older, I realized how right he was about a lot of things that uh, only now, like as you get older, do you realize how hard a lot of the stuff is to actually become even a little bit free or a little bit of an individual in the bio individual sense. I don't just mean wearing different clothes and doing different things and then, or talking about different books on Twitter. Oh, I'm so individual. Um, but you, his, uh, like, you know, a lot of his early stuff you were touched on there was, um, was more kind of, you know, occult kind of related things, his earlier books maybe. And then as he, as his stuff got, um, as it went on, like his later stuff became much more biologically focused. Um, I mean, he was always, he has come from a background of, uh, psychotherapy as well. So he had a psychoanalysis. So he like that, that kind of thing was in it before as well, mixed with the occult stuff. But then later it became much, it seemed to be much more about re- very real world action, um, becoming more empirical and what you're saying about the imagination and people are just imagining and fantasizing all the time. It wasn't that you were, it wasn't that his methods were for you to destroy imagination and that it was to start using it instead for planning and doing real things. So that, that, um, the thinking part of you that was just out of control before and just fantasizing and not doing anything that, you know, not connected with your actions is to instead, you know, like use, use thinking to plan what you want to do, use thinking to change yourself, to study yourself and to just do real things in the world, like normal, normal kind of successful things rather than what the majority of people interested in the cult and that tend to be is, is, um, is, uh, what's the, the phrase I use is somebody else's their legends in their own mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, it was the Clint Eastwood, uh, quote, just yeah, the legend Dirty, in Dirty, Harry. Dirty Harry. Yeah. 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 So like, <laughs> You know, I was done being in that phase too, you know, like I'm not judging other people, it's myself too. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's easy to, for people to feel superior because they have uh, interesting ideas or, or things. Um, but just, yeah, the, I mean, the main thing, back to Hyatt now, because similar to you, I moved away from it for some years or didn't talk about it at least, is, uh, is how much, how hard it is to really actually um, become more, uh, in control of yourself mm. and to, to actually, while also live meditating 10 hours a day to get some weird kind of special power of doing something doesn't to do both at the same time is hard. And there really isn't that many people talking about it. And even the ones that are only a tiny amount, they're, they're, readers or students actually do anything with it. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, very true. Yeah, it's not, it's, uh, it's, it's always been very fringe. Even, even back then it was, you know, so few people. And yeah, I think it will just continue to be so because it, it's such an unattractive, for, for most people, it's so unattractive to have to sit there and say, well, you know, maybe I'm first of all, not as special as, as what I think I am. And this, this may be the part that I think he's referring to when he says that it's like being an individual in this sense, as you say, in the bio-individual way, is a pathology. Is because in a way, if, if you look at it, 
it kind of is pathological to sit there and kind of question yourself in this way and to act in such a way. It's kind of, it's not normal because usually psychologists are like, it's about acceptance. You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Just go and fit in. It's okay. Don't, you know, like go and work nine to five and do all the things you should do. And I think that this variant is seen as pathological for that reason is because you're, you're not trying to go down the path of just being a normal human. in in some respects, you're, you're kind of not accepting it and you're trying to use methods to, to not get out of it, but to be self-directed in, in a way that may be uh, considered unusual uh, by the majority. But he did yeah, mention it's, it's, something um, completely unnatural in some ways. You know, it's yeah, like it nature wants you to just go along the same yeah. grooves, uh, you know, and keep um, just going along. And that's like, in a way, it's the opposite we're doing. You're struggling against that. You're struggling against your nature in a liter- literal sense. Obviously, it's part of your nature to want to do the struggle, obviously. But, um, mm. you know, something in you is choosing to do that. You know, if it's natural for like weirdos like us to want to do this, for most people, it's natural just to do what they wanted to do anyway, but just things to feel a little bit nicer when they do it. That's all most people want. They just want to feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, what we're so like, what the work we do is we're like, in, a, in one sense, it's you, you will feel better longer term, but the method, the way to feel better is to do things that make you feel worse, <laughs> to do things you don't want to do, to do unpleasant mm-hmm. things because you are making yourself do them and you're, you're noticing something different about this. Uh, this the the struggle against the things is what develops the the this bio individual sense of self. It's it's not um it's not something you pleasure your way to, uh, you know whether it's literal pleasure or mental masturbation or whatever. Uh, you you don't get there by being more and more at ease and feeling more and more better directly. You have to um do things you don't want to do and um. I mean, this is normal. This is like Kevin talks about self-discipline. That's what this is. You're just having to do that. You're doing, making yourself do things you've decided to do. Um, we're just kind of broadening that into a, it's almost a spiritual way of life in a sense. Hmm. And it's, who's, it's, it's bad marketing. Come and do this thing that makes you feel bad for ages. Hmm. You know, you don't, it's hard to get people in the door. At least I find it hard. I haven't yeah. figured out a way to, but I mean, over time, you, part of you starts to enjoy it. And I don't mean in the kind of a uh, Jocko willing, hard <laughs> discipline, harsh discipline way where, you know, make yourself do the things and, you know, no pain, no gain and all that stuff. It's, it's not so much that it's more like an, it's almost like an intellectual pleasure of taking command of yourself and, and, uh, uh, overcoming things. It's, it is overcoming. So like, you know, we've talked before about Nietzsche self overcoming. Okay, cool. But how? You know, what do you do? Mm. Well, the self-overcoming is not dreaming out these big things and having these great uh, massive intuitions and these, you know, like it's just the day-to-day stuff. It's the getting yourself to do the thing you don't want to do. It's the um, changing your your body, changing your reactions um, and not just uh, floating around which is what nature wants us to do. They're talking about commonness, the nature of commonness. Well, commonness is just doing what's happening anyway, carrying on with what's happening anyway. This may be a big part of the reason why uh, some some Western interpretation of Eastern ideas 
uh, everyone flocks towards the just let it all happen, don't need to think, don't need, you know, they, they want that stuff. It's all escapism. It's all, um, it's all a kind of spiritual weakness in a way. I, I don't say that as like a hard ass guy or anything like that. I'm not that, but it is a kind of, it's a kind of weakness and, um, lack of, lack of energy really to just try and get rid of all that and to not do the thing which is different about humans is there's this capacity to be able to to make yourself into an individual in 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 some limited ways yeah i think or people try to yeah yeah i i think people do tr we well we all try to do this to to varying degrees i i see his work as unique because it really emphasizes that as really you know offering adventure and joy to the to your life as well so like the jocko guys you know it just seems as if they're just miserable they're just going through it like it's a military attitude just just do it and fucking be miserable but you know i think hyatt had a really playful part admittedly i didn't know the guy these are just anecdotes that i heard about but really you know i feel like the work that he promoted was also to make happy I think he described it as happy, enlightened individuals, which is often overlooked by, you know, Nietzschean types or, you know, Jocko willing types. It's this idea of also it's okay to be, to have a bit of enlightenment and a little bit of happiness in life as well, <laughs> which people often overlook, like, because they just want to be warriors and fucking go around spearing everyone is like the, the highest uh, virtue and just work hard, man, and just all this stuff. Is, is just with his work, there's also an element of just having a bit of fun in the end as well, not just living an automated life, achieving some interesting things, doing some good work, trying to maximize yourself as much as you can, like your, your self potential. So these are all very tangible aims. There's nothing mysterious about it. Having said that, he um, also, he I, I wouldn't call him like a total, maybe I'm making him not so much you sound like a real like materialist like a therapist like just go and do this because it'll make you feel better you know like a he i think he also had spiritual sides to him from what i hear it, he wasn't just totally just like this pragmatic kind of materialist kind of guy uh necessarily so he he still was you know he obviously wrote a lot of books about um meditation and, and various other occult subjects so it, i think it'd be wrong to paint him in such a way that um you know he was totally this kind of just guy that just did stuff like this because no, he, he, yeah, he, he was both he was one yeah. of those rare people who's um who's equally interested in both you know the real world stuff and the the transcendence of the current human condition and experimenting with different mystical and and other systems mm. uh and I think he was like was as an experimental psychologist. So like, you know, he's that kind of mindset. Um and you also have to remember it's like people are dealing with their situation. So I mean he he if you're coming from a, a like you know, a publish he has a publishing company, he's the publisher of a owned a publishing company that was had a lot of themes to do with um occult and mystical stuff. So you're gonna get most of those type of people, and most of those type of people tend to be people out of touch with with physical reality it's just the way it is you know it's um 
they're either a lot of those things, pastimes and uh, methods tend to be either dominated by the tend to either be dominated by women or a certain type of guy. So it's not like you don't see, you usually don't see a certain type of guy at those and you see, they tend to be more similar. The guys you see, and just in general, people into cult stuff, it tends to be um, more fantasist types uh, with a few rare exceptions. And, you know, Hyatt himself always talks about the, he was only interested in the exceptions and the, the rare people. Um, and uh, I see why. Mm. Yeah, me too. One thing he did mention in that that first section before we move on, and he does go into this in a little more detail um, later. So, so he does talk about people, you know, doing what they must do. So the the middle class is being, you know, just kind of food for the grind mill. <laughs> um, and uh, he does then he talks about the upper class. So the six hundred billionaires is something that he talks about, and the street urchins as often having individuals that have these sorts of traits that he would view as having, having potential perhaps. And he does talk about this a little bit later on, but this is something very interesting to note. And it kind of ties in with what you were just saying now about this idea that, uh, that, you know, he only really cared about marginal types and you were just saying, you can understand why uh, now, but you, you, you kind of, Day to day, uh, particularly you, you see what, what happened with COVID and, and various other things over the last couple of years in particular, you can really see how the middle class don't have much skepticism about them. <laughs> they seem to very much just be very accepting, very pliable, just doing what they must do. Cliches work on them incredibly, um, which is something that he just said, uh, that they live in a world of cliches. Um. But it is interesting that then he went on because the billionaires get a bad rap in our circles because no one likes what they're enacting, their political views. So, so we tend to think of them as, as being stupid or not understanding human nature. But I, you know, I kind of agree with Hy uh, Dr. Hyde here that I, I don't think that you can really say that about them. I, I was doing a bit of a thought experiment the other day. Like if, if I was a billionaire and, and how, how my action of pushing certain buttons like and the vast effects that can have on on what happens in public and uh you know it's very interesting that that dr hyatt i think he even mentioned that he had interactions with with some of these people i often wonder who that would have been but he he does mention that people like this and maybe gangsters on the street do have insights into human nature that the middle class just seem to lack. And, and therefore, the marginal types that we're talking about, that he talks about, do often come from, not that being a billionaire is a fucked up background, but um, at least being on the street offers you some insight into the darker parts of the human psyche. And I would imagine being a billionaire, that would very much be the case as well it's, you get so it's the same it's the same thing they have the same knack for reality and how to manipulate people into things yeah. i just mean how to get people to do what they want so there's the guy in the street who knows exactly that people are are he knows that people are machines and they're reactive he knows that people just say they're going to do something and don't you know a lot of the the guys pushing stuff on people know that people are, are 
uh, delude themselves that I'm just going to do this once. They know that they would, 98% of people won't and that people are machines. You know, they're using these things against them. You know, I'm talking about like a bad guy in the street, but also like um, uh, people who are decent who are like at the low levels. They know that... Uh, they know what people, it's all talk, the difference between talk and reality. They know that people are just um, uh, trying to make money most of the time. They're just trying to get the most they can get out of the situation, No more, but they're saying these other things. Uh, they're not lost in the world of symbols, which all like, university educated tend, people tend to be, most, most of them in the middle, all in the middle. And then the, the top, it's kind of a different background because their understanding of things is how is making things happen. It's not about, and it's, it can say their understanding of things. It's not even like that. It's they're just seeing how things are, are see they're around people. They grow up around people who make things happen and they're constantly uh, doing things rather than talking about how the things connect. They're just doing the stuff. So they get, they develop a knack for it in a way that you can't really get if you're just reading books, reading books, reading books and trying to figure it out like that. It's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, at all and uh, you know his thing about Hyatt's thing that you can take someone from the street the lower end if you can get them to behave and treat them and to train them in manners and and different behaviours and stuff like that then they can go really high up but the guy in the middle can't because he doesn't have the same sense of reality yeah yeah he does talk about that um, later on and I guess just before we finish I I guess it ties in a little bit with this idea of um, reproduction and consumption, which he spoke about in that little clip there as being the the primary driver of um of the middle class in particular. That that's kind of just what they do. There's not much outside of that. So I guess it's even, easy to see even reproduction is coming is out going out of fashion now with a lot of them. You know, it's like they're just yeah, consumption. Yeah, yeah. It's only consumption and consumption of ideas and consumption of um have uh, things that make them feel superior in a moral sense. Consumers, I think the meme is consumers. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting because he was he wasn't like um he he wasn't necessarily pro reproduction and consumption or anything like that. I don't think he had anything against it, but um you know maybe the individual he envisaged was not necessarily just someone that went around popping our kids as as the primary virtue which many people on the internet seem to see as some sort of salvation and again um, you have to remember people have to remember he's talking about marginal types of people here he's not saying you can have a functioning society with with, without any of this stuff he's not saying like normal like it, it's all aimed at the people on the edge. It's not aimed at like saying everyone should do this thing. He's like a quite extreme individualist, actually. High, I think. Yeah, you yeah, know that's a good point. And, he's, he's not aiming it at everyone, but he, I think it does tie into uh, his analysis of the human condition, um, for example. And I think that he always spoke about the fact that the the human mind has uh, vast potential. Um, but because of these uh, maybe genetic and natural obsessions that a lot of uh, potential is is squandered over these, um, not compulsions, but, but I think he described it as the things that people do because they have to do them. Um, and uh, in, in terms of the potential of the species itself, which I guess he reluctantly 
spoke about a couple of times that I can remember. It was it was these obsessions with nesting, digesting, and congesting. I think he said that that to a large degree can hold great works back because of because of these obsessions and the amount of energy and time that they can take up, which is interesting because I, I was reading a thread recently on on Twitter by I think I think it was someone associated with Bronze Age pervert or something where there's this idea that's floating around that um, like having kids is not a, a political act. And I was thinking just in a political sense um, that, you know, that that idea is, is really quite similar to, to what he used to put forward um, in that it, it's, it is time consuming realistically it's a, a big uh, finance drain. And if, if, yeah, if you're trying to be like an extreme individual, as you're just saying, someone who is, is happy to be seen as pathological, then, you know, um, you know, this whole, the, these species obsessions can be a bit of a time sink, particularly in the context that we exist today. Maybe not so much in the past when men were a bit more free to go and do what they wanted. Um, but it was interesting to see that kind of idea flare up, even in political discourse, where they were saying that it's not, you know, a political act to just go and do what everyone's been doing since the beginning of time. And that in many respects, if you just go and pop out seven kids and live in a homestead, that it's going to be exceedingly difficult to achieve anything, uh, how would you say, uh, that, that spanned generations uh, in a political sense or a philosophical sense. So it is, yeah, I, I just would like to make that comment um, in connection with consumption reproduction, the middle class, as at, in the context that he was talking about it, just in that little section there. But he does, he does talk about it a little bit, little bit more later on. So if you want to, we can play the next part now, I guess. I think we've pretty exhaustively analyzed that. <laughs> yeah, go for that. Yeah, cool. Knowledge came to them, I think, in a lot of cases through the fact that they were genetically different and they were great observers. Mm -hmm. In order to see clearly, you cannot see through labels. You cannot see through words. Mm -hmm. If you understand ideology, people believe in things. These beliefs color their perception of reality. It makes everything into a delusion, an illusion, uh, whatever you want to call it. But everything is colored. You go to university and you listen to all the nonsense that these people believe in and all their ideals and all their stuff. Well, it makes them basically losers. They're basically food. <laughs> food for the great machine. They're being ground up. They're being used. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know if you have any, any comments. I must have cut that out because I, I thought it was good um, by itself there. But um yeah, beliefs coloring reality. I guess we've spoken about that quite a lot in yeah, well, this, this episodes. Is, really, this is the, this is one of the things that you don't that uh, they trick you into thinking you're not being reactive and being controlled by things because you, if you've got like a physical restriction, say you can't you find some movement hard or something, you're aware of it. It's like you know you have it. Okay, I can't do this thing. Uh, whether you choose to do anything about it is, is, is a different matter. But when it comes to things, uh, ideas and uh, beliefs, they're just happening to you and you already think they're like you're you're doing things based on those assumptions being true all the time. So you 
you you it's very hard to be free of those things. So some of them you obviously need some level of things. You can't be some things just you just feel that's but a lot of the stuff is um is it's it's programming you programming your behavior and, and all your other thoughts in ways that you can't even you can't even imagine and you, it's totally clear online that people react to words as if the words are the thing are a real thing and can't not do it and uh, you're doing this all the time with words in your head and all these things are just like old habits old um behaviors just repeating themselves and you all the time you're using more words to then delude yourself and to, into thinking you're free and you could do something else if you wanted to but i just don't want to do it at the moment you know, i can stop drinking anytime i'm just don't <laughs> you know that kind of mentality um so while you're because this is happening to people most people all the time. Other people figured out you can manipulate people, get, uh, drain resources from. You just have to use symbols to manipulate them rather than actually run the map chains on them. You just change symbols in such a way that people just go around and do what you want. Uh, and this is where we are now. You know, you just call things by a different name. So people react differently to it, even if it's functionally the same thing. Um, you know, you, uh, you spend your, you know, if you want to control people, you spend your time with the uh, controlling the symbols. Uh, and then you'll get another group of people react to th that group of symbols with their group of symbols and they try and win the symbol war. Uh, but for us and people like us, we just want to uh, have some kind of degree from all symbols and then use them as tools rather than be used by them. Uh, so you just end up on the food, like, you know, the food chain. Mm. Um, because your things you're like, for just as an example, and somebody goes onto Twitter and they react about the news and their quotes that they hate, thinking I'm doing something now about it. But they're actually now by food chain now of those ideas they don't like because they're amplifying the ideas by quote-tweeting them for starters. You know, everyone's this when their enemies do it. Why are they doing it themselves? Um, you're now in the food chain, your, your work is benefiting somebody else. Never mention the fact that you work for some corner or whatever that is, is doing the things that you hate. You know, you might have to do that to survive. That's different. Um, so the whole time you're being uh, enslaved to, to symbols, to words, it's, it's really insane when you start realizing how much this come out and then the person will just get up and do something. I mean, it's sourcely. It's amazing. Mm, uh, and some people are really good in that. So the, the first thing you have to do is get control over that in yourself and your normal everyday movements and get yourself to do little things that you didn't want to do. Get, like that's where it all starts. It's not, it doesn't start by some huge, big political project. By, um, um, like by visions on the astral plane, uh, you know, <laughs> get little everyday things and all of those higher Experiences, experiences and stuff come later and do come uh, and, you know, can't be, a lot of them can't be, you can't fit them into normal understanding of reality in some way. But it doesn't mean you are you just ignore all that and, and to our, go to our cave that we always, I always refer to this cave and the guy in his underwear sitting on the side of the road lost in, in, in spiritual realms. Uh who's just the counterpart, the opposite of the, 
the guy who's just obsessed with all the material stuff and making the money and just buys all stupid shit and does doesn't do anything himself. I think people just or they don't, or they or everyone maybe everyone has it and some people don't ignore it. Some people do, mm. and uh, he, his kind of work starts from that assumption, and then you have to actually do has to be empirical uh, examples of what thing around you. So yeah. you're not just a legend in your own mind. Yeah, he, uh, he and, uh, and Rigatti before him, I think was <clears throat> probably the progenitor of this this kind of line of thinking is this split between the phys- uh, physical and the spiritual. And and it's interesting, you were saying just now that the, the mundane things of, of trying to behave in, in the ways that you were outlining uh, in a way to free up energy and to start understanding your character I, I honestly think that, you know, that that really is a prerequisite to having any ability to really engage in any higher spiritual practice. Um, the problem is, I think that when you pursue some of these higher spiritual practices, if that's what you want to call them, if you haven't sufficiently understood yourself and you haven't sufficiently loosened yourself up, I think is the best way to put it, or or at least uh, gone far enough where you've understood your reactivity to different things that your success in these higher things or these more not abstract, but these more demanding processes is going to be very limited because you haven't gone through the, the necessary work to understand yourself at a, a more mundane limit or mu- sorry, more mundane level. And in this kind of sense, there's actually no real uh, split between the, the uh, you know, the material and the spiritual or the physical and the spiritual or the body and the spiritual, h- however you want to put it. Because understanding your own physiology, having some degree of mastery of your own physiology and your reactions is a really important prerequisite to being successful at really anything in life, but in particular with spiritual pursuits or philosophical pursuits. Um, and, and you see examples constantly of gurus, you know, who may have had some pretty incredible experiences, may have very impressive resumes in terms of meditation or other things like that, who constantly get in the way of themselves and behave badly. Um, you could say sex scandals, you know, sexual assault of uh, females that are under their tutelage, which, you know, um, all these different kinds of things that you see happen. So he was, he was big on, um, you know, before you, uh, went into something because there is no split between these things. And when you think about it, how could there be, how could there be? Because the only split there is exists in our minds. It's the only place it really is that, um, really mastering the physical, the so-called physical mastering the body, um, was in a sense, a spiritual act in and of itself. And one that is is really very regularly ignored by spiritual types, and I see, I think you see that pathos come out in them very regularly because they haven't bothered really to look at these very important dynamics in their bodies and and their own biochemistry. And he was he was of course very big on this. Um, and in a way, if you think about it, that whole. Uh, idea of not really understanding yourself and then going and pursuing something and and uh, not 
really making any progress with it because you don't understand what's driving you to do something is, is very similar to what he was just talking about now, uh, university graduates, the middle class with a university degree that you were just talking about in the last segment. Um, <clears throat> the fact that the beliefs, uh, color reality and particularly people like this are very much prone to having their reality completely colored by beliefs that usually they don't really have any idea that they hold or they don't have any idea of why they hold them or that they really are coloring their reality to the degree that they are. And this makes people very reactive, I think. Um, and it stifles a lot of potential, um, human potential because they're a bit like in a daze, they're kind of like, um, in a, in a, in a room with TVs on all the walls and they just can't see what's really going on. You know, Plato's cave, I guess, whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it was very interesting, um, that, that he mentioned, uh, he's particularly big on beliefs, coloring reality, obviously. And, and, and the, uh, impact that language use in particular had on, on that process. Um, but yeah, again, um, you know, I think the people doing this work really need to focus on the idea that there's no real difference between the physical and the spiritual or the lower and the higher. All these things are, are a part of the same unfolding dynamic process and you can't ignore one thing and expect to have the fruits of the other. I don't think, I think that's um, misguided and I see it very often in spiritual communities and I've been there myself on a number of occasions. I've, ignored important things where in retrospect, had I've handled quite mundane things, um, the outcome perhaps would have been completely different. So I, I don't know if you have any comments on that or if you want to move on to the next section. Yeah. The spiritual and physical thing. Yeah. That's, they're just it's all part of the same thing. Um, you know, any quote mystical experience I've had has been associated with all sorts of physical effects and probably physical causes too. things I've been doing. Um, even if you like somebody who goes into a mystical state where they, uh, go out of time and space, you know, in their, their subjective experience was they, you know, disappeared and went into whatever realm. Um, maybe they even like have no even awareness of themselves. If you were on the outside timing it with a stopwatch between them saying in and out, a little bit of time did pass. So like there is a real body there, you know, like it's not. Whatever the spiritual uh, awareness or realm is gone is is there now. Whatever the physical realm and awareness is, you know, there's you can't really separate them like that. And um, yeah, the Hyatt and Ricardi stuff seem to yeah, to blend all that in together, which is is good. And uh, a lot of um, a lot of the ones now don't they they. It's weird the way they, they don't really see the physical. It's weird the way they treat it. I mean, in some of the methods, they actually are training themselves to have the, just the basic control over their physical and um, mental reactions in the early stages, you know, of meditating or whatever. But it's not really seen as that. It's more just they, they, they treat it like a means to an end just so I can get down to the, the serious meditation stuff. But actually, that's... 
essential part of the process is is um, making yourself slightly less reactive. Mm. And um, you're the the way. The, I just keep going back to guys like Eckhart Tolle. Like you, you see them, they have the certain experiences and they're talking about things in a certain way. And then you see them, you look at them. It, it does. That person is totally fully aware of themselves. Um, there's something in them is split. Just, you, know, you can just by seeing them. And uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, Denial and like ignoring of these things is what probably what leads to a lot of the like um, abuses and manipulations and stuff and the scandals by different gurus and stuff because yeah, they're yeah. that's all coming that's all the the denied physical reality stuff is, is all coming out in um, twisted ways rather yeah. than because it's it's not being dealt with or or the it just might even be simply down to the techniques they did or the techniques they didn't do as well uh, made them unbalanced in some way. Or it could just be that the type of guy who gets into that kind of thing and wants to be a teacher, not the type, the only one type of guy who gets into those things is because he wants to be in a position where he can pick up women because he's the guy, <laughs> the good guy. It, it's agree. often. So they're bound to be like that once they get the position of power layer, except mm-hmm. now it's all dressed up illusions of it's for, you know, the higher self and all that, whatever. Um, very easy to delude yourself. So like the, you have to find... You have to be doing something mundane, like you were saying, to catch yourself deluding yourself, to, find, to realize you're deluding yourself all the time in basic ways. You know, in the in the posture work I do with people, it's you know, you, they're using video to see that what you see in video is totally different than what they thought they were doing, and it's you know, it shocks you after a while because you're like, I felt so real that I was doing one thing, and then I could see I wasn't. That's just mundane little movements. Uh, if if it's like that, why do you think that your understanding of what you think happened in your quote spiritual experiences is, is true, or uh, accurate, or any of these things? You've no you've no right at all to mm. to think it's real, and that's like so you have to over, self overcome with the little things, with an eye and a name on the big things too. But but not by going straight to the big things. You'll just end up either fucking yourself up, or uh, just um, more likely just deluding yourself for, for yeah. years. Looking like a cock. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I like that. I like that quote he, he used to have. Um, j- just because uh, you forget the subconscious doesn't mean it's going to forget you. <laughs> Which basically is saying that you can you can deny all these drives and all these things that are, you know, behind the, uh, you know, the, the psyche or however you want to put it. But they're going to come up regardless of, you know, what you want, quote unquote. It's just just the way we are. And I, even I, heard, know. there was one, there was one like Buddhist med got rid of, he'd overcame all emotionals, all emotions and emotional reactions completely. And he was like, <laughs> Who was over this, all right? that, you know, like, I can't remember the guy's name. I don't think he's very well known, but he was like a Buddhist meditator or a post Buddhist, you know, he was like in that kind of group. He was claiming that he'd overcame all kind of emotions and was beyond all that, which is like saying you're not in, you don't have a brain anymore. Since a lot of your, you know, your, this things he's using to talk about this and tell us about this are built on top of the emotional brain, um, and out of it and stuff. You know, it's not like you can't overcome it. All that's happening is they're playing out in a different way, or yeah. he's, you know, like anyway. So that's like <clears throat> that kind of fantasy, that kind of like, uh, just delusion basically. 
mm. um, denying the bio part of the bio individual, um, and just basically being passive and and outside of life. So I mean, that's like one of the keys. One of the things that makes Hyatt's emphasis different is he's focused on the living the good, living a good life in the normal sense at the same time as studying yourself and improving yourself, not being detached and outside of life, but actually being in it and doing things and yeah. using the energies of life, using your biology for your benefit, not um, not trying to pretend it's not there, not trying to escape from it, not trying to deaden it and get rid of it all. So I'm this, you know, perfectly detached wise sage man. Um, but to actually live with him, I mean, he was like full of energy and full of like um, impish, <laughs> like a uh, sense of humor and stuff. And, uh, you know, like that, you know, that's a whole tradition really in spiritual teachers of, uh, you know, the kind of uh, rogue teacher. I can't remember. There's a, you know, there's lots of them in, in Zen and stuff hmm. uh, and Taoists where they're like, um, you know, the the misbehaved teacher as opposed to the wise sage man. Yeah. And um, I think it's just something like you, it, surely it's better to have that, to be awakened and also to have like high energy and uh, be, uh, you know, mischief, sense of humor and stuff like that and have fun. You, mm. th- you don't, they don't need to not do both. So that's like, you really think that they needed to be both. They, they needed to be separate as if you'd only think that you couldn't do both is if you had an assumption underneath you that was saying the spiritual and physical are separate. You know, it's all comes from out of that, out of this split, which is, has a long history and yeah. um, we, it's in the culture, but also we enact it in our, our, our daily lives. And I'm afraid things like social media make it worse because you're, you really are separating reality from the, the talk then, you know, so it, unless you figure out a way to build it back into your life and to make it real using it as tool, then um, it's just adding to your mind body split. Yeah. And no yeah, amount totally. of going to the gym and reading the books will do that. It's, yeah. it's beyond that. That's just, those are just tools on the way to doing this, to do, to sound physical, sound mental or what seem to be, but you have to tie those things together. Yeah. And that's a lot of Hyatt's work was that. A lot of it was, a lot of it was starting with uh, cognitive control. So the various techniques you're starting with your thinking and the words you're using, but then you're using that to bring up the emotional reactions and then you follow the emotions back and to the physical and emotional reactions based underneath you know, that are underneath or feeling those thoughts. And uh, understanding yourself that way, and then overcoming it. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. Um, one one thing he did mention, just to bring it back to something mundane that I thought was interesting in this interview, I, I've never been to the United States before. Um, I'm not proud to admit, but I haven't been there yet. I've always prioritized other places. He did mention that the United States, just in, in the previous clip, is like a really conformist place with no real sense of individuality and Europe is way better. I, I know that you've been to both places. Is that your experience that Europe has more space to marginal types in the United States? Maybe you weren't there for long, but I just wondered if you had any, any insight to that. Totally sh- I'm not totally sure. I mean, in some ways, yes, because there's more, I think it's just because there's more variation in, 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 in Europe. Oh, I don't, I, I'm not sure, but the, yeah. But I know what he means about the Americans because even the anti-conformists in America are quite conformist with each other. So, like, they go into the the they 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 flock together <laughs> more. You know, like um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not quite. It's not quite like that in Europe. Like the 
the two clear sides against each other thing isn't as obvious in Europe sure. as America. So maybe that's a part of to do with people who are slightly more individualistic in some ways. But I mean, I really don't see that much difference. I mean, it's, it's the exact same problems, yeah. more or less. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, let's um, play the next. And I don't know in Australia mm. either. Australia is a... Australia is a is a prison colony, mate. So we have, uh, I think it was Clive James. He was, he was an author here. Pretty sure that's his name. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he uh, said he, that it, sorry, go on. I, 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 just, I love one of his books. He's got a book called Cultural Amnesia, which is pretty good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've actually not read any of his books, but he, I think that towards the end of his life, he actually moved to the UK and he ended up dying there. But he said that Australia, um, this is not exactly the quote, but Australia is um, jailers and the jails, and that's continued through to the present day. <laughs> and that is very much the case. Um, and that you know, it's funny how you don't really understand your own culture until something momentous happens, which it which it did um, during the whole COVID thing. And I like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, man, people are screaming out for just for lockdowns and like jailing people that don't conform. Like it was getting nasty here, like really quite nasty um, to the yeah, point that, not, yeah, to the point where this whole image of the easygoing Aussie just fucking has a fosters and you know, all this bullshit. Like I was like, yeah, Man, that's, this, that's not real. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's gone. Even yeah. on the internet, I could, I noticed that kind of, um, that kind of, opinion isn't really there anymore yeah it's a dark so like, yeah i mean put it that way one of the like being in the uk one of the differences you see between america and, and australia from the uk is you can't trace it back to the fact that the americans who went there were marginal types leaving europe you know they were like extreme religious variation extreme religious uh um forms went yeah. to america first and you can see how that's played out in in american history and and them um, obviously it's all criminal types going to yeah. Australia. Yeah, all the jailers, right? The jailers. And the, the, other, and the jailers, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's bound to play out later because, you know, it's, that's people with certain sets of reactions having children who pick up a lot of those reactions and it just continues on. And uh, yeah. why, why, how could it, it couldn't really be any other way. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit schizo because I, I've got um, – so I've got relatives who are in the first fleet on on both both sides of the aisle. So I'm like half criminal, half fucking half jailer. I, I you know, which is really weird. It could explain a lot, you know, a lot about me. I'm saying now we understand yeah. your Twitter persona. Yeah, just just flipping now. sides constantly, just <laughs> unstable. Yeah, like um, but yeah, you know, it's funny. It does become clear during times of stress. Um. There's definitely a like a strata here of there's a socioeconomic strata. It's quite clear, and you know people with probably English heritage. I would say I've noticed tend to occupy places of higher station than people, you know that that have Irish or Scottish are a bit different, but particularly Irish. It was an Irish underclass here, I think. Um, but probably since then, there's, you know, there's been a lot of intermixing. I think that Australia's kind of morphed into a strange, you know, British-Irish kind of mix. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's not the same stratification that probably used to exist, but you, there's still shadows of it here, um, which is interesting. But 
that, you know, there was an element of kind of rugged individualism that I, I think was probably associated with the free settlers that came, uh, who were very often Scottish, actually. There were a lot of Scott free settlers, a lot of English free settlers. But yeah, I, I don't know where that spirit's gone. We seem to have descended into something a little more, yeah, a little more sinister uh, in recent times. But anyway, moving on, let's play the next um, section. And it doesn't bother them because they're not really capable of much more. I've experimented with this over the years. I have known a few people in the higher, higher, higher end of things and known and more people in the lower, lower end of things because I come from the streets of Chicago. Now, this people of the streets of Chicago, the hoodlums and the gangsters and people like that, have a greater understanding of the world and how it really operates than the people who have PhDs, people who have degrees, people who, who do anything normally. Okay, they have a much greater understanding. You take one of those people, and if you can get them to behave properly, which takes a hell of a lot of work, they can easily, in one or two generations, reach pretty close to the top. But you take, for an example, I call them the Moolah family. You know, dad goes to school, gets a PhD, marries the beautiful girl, he becomes a professor, he becomes that, he has two or three children. The world is perfect, it's idealistic, it's wonderful. Usually his children will go one step beneath him, not one step over him. They can't break the next barrier. It, it's too far away from them. They've been diluted with too many ideals. You take somebody in the street with an above average IQ and you train them, you teach them how to behave, you teach them how to do a lot of things and how to move amongst different kinds of people. They may jump up 10 steps on the so-called socioeconomic ladder. It sounds like especially academics with their obsession with words and you know being able to verbalize things that's just a net that catches them and makes it impossible for them to really break through that next level yeah well it's impossible when they're around me i'm around them they'll be throwing all these words around and i'll say define any term in the sentence you just threw at me mm -hmm. well don't you know you understand what i'm talking about so mm -hmm. no i don't understand what you're talking about tie it down to something duh then I'll start laughing or clapping my hands. And they get very upset and confused because everyone else around them has bought into the same paradigm. So they each know what they're talking about, but they don't know what they're talking about because they can't do anything with it. Tell them to go to the laboratory and demonstrate and to show. They don't even know what you're talking about half the time. Demonstrate it to me. Show it to me. What? What are you talking about? Huh. <laughs> yeah, I like when he has academics. I like it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he is one too. You know, he was one too. <laughs> so he's, he's, you know, he's got like Glad. many degrees or whatever. So he's not like, he's not against it in that mm -hmm. sense. But like uh, the thing about throwing words around. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I just like, mm -hmm. he's talking there about people throwing words around. So that, like you see that very clearly. You're just, um, I call it like, uh, I think of it like abstract called, uh, I think of Twitter as abstraction tennis, you know, where people are just seeing abstractions back across at each other. Even 
they have no idea what the other each are saying, uh, even if they're using the same words. Uh, they don't know what they're saying. They're just um, it's not it's not about learning anything or getting to some to doing anything with it at all. It's just throwing shit at each other. Yeah. It's just as words, you know. It's like little. It's not even ink on paper anymore. It's just like little pixels, lobbing some pixels at the person. It really is just like the monkey <laughs> throwing shit at the wall. Except it's using up bits and higher up in the brain with words and you know, like um, it's really easy to delude yourself. I'm mean, no, I'm not saying anything new. Everyone's said things like this before, but when you re- when you really feel that that's what's happening as it's happening, it's it can really awaken you a little. Not awaken you, but it can really um. Uh, increase your self awareness about yourself when you're doing these things. So, I like how you know, you someone say, annoys you and you spout some. Just gonna say, I like how you say lobbing some Sorry? pixels. Lobbing some pixels is uh, that's excellent. I'm gonna be stealing that. That's um, yeah, that's but it is, but it is what it is. It just makes you feel a bit better because you've you've um, thrown some shit at them or whatever, and then like you make some friends and you it, like you they because they're lobbing shit at the same people. So they're lobbing pixels at the same people. So then they kind of groom each other a little bit, you know, like it, it's just primate behavior, mm. um, but with abstractions, it's like, it really is that it's in most cases. Um, and then you get people to come on and in good faith, they're trying to interact with people properly and, that, and they just like, they usually end up disgusted by it pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, they'll get turned into a thread boy and they yeah. just, you know, prostitute their own ideas and to try and fit in with it all, or they just get disgusted and leave. Or they don't really interact much, and there's a, I think there's a lot of lurkers on Twitter who just yeah. don't want to interact, but they're they're trying to siphon out and get bits of idea, but get useful things, take useful things from it without getting involved. And that's probably what I should have kept doing because I did that for a year or two before I started using it. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's just like you're really in, it, you're really particular about the people you follow when you do that, or at least mm-hmm. I was. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, that was a sort of extra on top of their books and those type of things. It wasn't like about the Twitter was just, it was purely a tool then for me. And, um, uh, but later then once you get involved, it just becomes the, the, the obstruction tennis where you're just like hitting each other. So you can hit it hardest past the other one and then whoa, and then everyone cheers or gives yeah. a belly rub, like you were saying. Yeah. And, uh, it's just primate <laughs> behavior. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite pathetic. Um, you know, I, I to say I don't like being I like groomed myself. <laughs> so, so that's, actually, to cut that out, don't don't leave that don't leave that phrase. Yeah, it is, I must admit it is it is funny sometimes. Like t- today, today there was you know Varg Vikens from uh, Mayhem or old Mayhem or whatever his new Burzum Burzum is the one he did after Mayhem. He's like a black metal guy. You must know who he is. No. Okay, I heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so he was. He was arguing with Bronze Age pervert about something. I, I won't quote what was the conversation was here, but it was hilarious. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm paying for this sort of neurotic uh, spectacle. It was it was hilarious. But yeah, other other than that, I mean, is you have to question what what I like about it is I, I kind of like almost see it as like I can practice analyzing first of all i guess my own reactions to things because some things absolutely trigger me on there and i'll I'll, I'll take a step back and i'll be like really you're having this reaction to this you know abstract concept so it's a good way to keep yourself on guard 
But as well, um, in terms of analyzing other people, I think it's it's a goldmine because you know you can see all sorts of character come out and what people think and what they say, and you can try and determine like I wonder what this person's like behind this face that they're putting up here. Like I'd love to know what's really driving them. Like are they were they a loser at school and they don't have any friends and and here they can put on a statue face and like have all these arguments, you know, like whatever it is, it just seems to me that what, what, what's underneath is the interesting part. Um, and you know, for the most part, I, I don't like what I see. Um, I just see a lot of, a lot of coping, um, and just a lot of time wasting, uh, particularly the politics guys. I've been having a bit of, bit of a go at recently because there's this real strain uh, on Twitter of people like having these grandiose aims about like stopping policies they don't like or whatever it is. And the way that they aim to do this is by posting to their 100 followers on Twitter, some article they wrote about how a certain social policy is, is uh, not working or it's destructive or whatever it is. And, you know, it's just impotent. It's completely impotent. Um, it, it creates no change, particularly you might change a couple of people's minds, but they're all online as well. Uh, they don't really do anything. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I have to leave Twitter because, you know, for extended periods, I mean, because w when I see this, I, that's the part that annoys me. It, it, it's not even policy necessarily that, that they're talking about that, that may annoy me as well. But it's more just the the amount of energy that they put into this abstraction on this this pixel pixelated screen, and then thinking that it's having a real impact in reality, it's is just incredible. I'm like, you you could spend the same energy if you really cared about this cause, um, putting on a tie, polishing up your shoes, heading to the capital, um, polishing up your your charisma, polishing up your public speaking winning the crowd over, you know, participating in these things that could actually create a tangible change in space time. But instead, everyone's just taking the lazy option. The lazy option is sitting online, fucking whinging to a bunch of people who are just all doing the same thing. I don't even really necessarily think vast swaths of normies are being um, converted, to be honest, because I look at my normal friends, because I interact with normal people all the time, which I don't think many of these guys online do, but I do. And I'm telling you, none of this is getting through at all. Absolutely none of it, unless it's through me. So I guess what I'm getting at is it's just, it, it can really suck you into this point of view where you think you're achieving a whole lot and you're achieving absolutely not a goddamn thing. You're just whinging online. And in some way, I think you can see this as a microcosm of um, of what people are like day to day as well, because that's kind of what we're all like. We're just all wired to be that way, just living in a in a daze of symbols and opinions and beliefs, and just nothing really all that tangible happens. I mean, you go to your job, you get a bit of wealth, you you know, you have children you do all this stuff and you, you may have all these cliches in your head, 
ideas and beliefs and all this stuff that animates your existence. But when you actually look at like what's actually happening, like as if you're kind of like a, a, a zoologist looking at a bunch of chimps in a jungle, if you take that perspective and you're looking at yourself, not all that much interesting is really happening for most people in the West. It's just kind of the same thing over and over again. Um, yeah, uh, Hayek has I a thing, a, but he says somewhere that people just do what they have to do, but call it a virtue. So yeah, they're, they're, exactly. They're just doing yeah. what you have to do. It's just like you just do certain things at certain times of your life without thinking about it. And yeah. it's not like some, you know, some levels you have to do that, obviously, but the, but then pretending that this is the choice, you know, it's the pretending yeah. part. Yeah. Um, Twi- you know, Twitter's, um, annoying. Tw- Twitter's like this on steroids, in my opinion, which is why I think it's, it has very sneaky purposes because because of the way it functions, it can it can make people feel as if there's this group impact and there's this movement and there's this energy, the frenetic energy, and it's all happening. Um, but yeah, I, I just I don't think it is for the most part. I think that it's you know not really known about. The masses don't know about it. The policymakers don't give a shit about it. In fact, the security agencies probably use it deliberately to stop people acting in in real time, which is what I would do. If I was in a three-letter security agency, that's how I would control you all. Um, I'm not saying they do do that. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I mean, all these platforms have interesting connections to security agencies um, in their beginnings. Anyway, it's kind of besides the point because I guess what I'm getting at is if you think day-to-day life is bad in terms of how you can really put yourself under the power of different illusions, then Twitter itself is just that process on fucking steroids, like just smoking crack, doing trend, fucking testosterone, just all this shit. And it's just absolutely putting you in this delusional reality tunnel. And on top of that, it's a fucking time sink as well. It's an absolute time sink. Like if you actually want to achieve something, um, you know, forget about it. So I just think, it, it rather than uh, enhancing uh, potentially powerful individuals, I think that it actually diminishes them significantly uh, for the most part. You know, some people may be able to make a living out of it, or I guess, you know, there may be some elements. And of course, you know, there is some degree of cultural change that occurs, but I think the real litmus test is, Twitter's been around for 10 years, as far as I know. You know, certain dissident circles have been around for quite a long time now, maybe coming up to 10 years. Have things gotten better or have they got worse? It's pretty, pretty fucking easy question to answer. Um, so you so taking that into account, you really have to sit back and think, you know, is this the best way to do things? Is this the best way to use my time? If I really care about something. Do I just want to passively sit online and comment on it, or do I want to go and actually do something about it? Um, and it just seems that people have been sucked into this perception that they're doing something by throwing pixels at a leftist or vice versa. When, as I was, as I say, you need to go down to Canberra or where's Scottish? I guess uh, that's in London. You have a parliament there, right? Because you just elected someone. How does that work? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Edinburgh. Wherever, Edinburgh. Wherever, Edinburgh. So where, wherever your capital is, go there, learn how the 
political system works, go and measure your reactions. Don't zig hail people if you don't like transgenders or whatever, whatever your fucking stupid aims are. Go and learn that and use it as a, as a way to overcome yourself and hold these things back. Don't be reactive. Don't act like a little tool. Go and master yourself in the art of politics, if that's the thing that you love. And then maybe if you do it right, you'll have some influence. You'll, you'll have a tangible real world outcome when you're able to influence the, uh, the peon masses to, to see the light of your ways. But just posting online all the time, like that's just not going to do it, I'm afraid. Because at the end of the day, Kevin, someone's going to have to do it. Like even if your ideas online are so excellent that, you know, they're the best ideas ever, it's still going to take someone to enact them in real life. And uh, as far as I can see, everyone wants to be the Twitter philosopher and no one wants to be the dude that, you know, uses that process to actual, actually enact change in, in real, real life. But Which could anyway, make sense because that's what we do with our cell cinema. We have yeah, um, exactly. all these that, theories that, that we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and then we don't do them. Yeah, I'm going to in, stop in a, drinking. I'm going to go to the gym at six in the morning. I'm going to whatever it is, and then then don't do them. So yeah. it's bound to be just all theory, theory, theory with no practice. And then when the guys are not really good at the practice, they tend to not have spent a lot of time with the, <laughs> with a lot of the theory, and they probably aren't big posters on Twitter and stuff. They're probably yeah, yeah, totally. learning the the knack of of making things happen and things. It's like a knack you get. Um, trained into it by being around the people and seeing how it works and some people have a natural sense others don't and um it's not something you learn about and understand and get video on and then go and apply it you have to be in it living it yeah. so tested in politics which i'm not really at the moment no neither um, shit about it <clears throat> i would i would get involved in some kind of local local thing and then just start breaking up a bit and with a little bit of local power and i've seen this i've seen this firsthand actually not me, but I've seen it where a guy, a local guy can have a decent amount of power and really makes things happen in his area and makes decisions and has influence and all the connections and stuff. And is like a sort of, um, mini, <laughs> mini dictator, not really dictator, but you know, <laughs> but, um, but like, a, but not really, I don't mean leader. that, I'm just joking. Yeah. But he is like, um, but in, you know, like, um, a lot more influence of power than you think but anyway over time as things are breaking up in the center like you know this decentralization trend that's also final with a extreme sense centralization trend you're going to see places where the center power doesn't have as much control over people in local areas or local area more power of the guys there so if you're wanting to get involved you should probably do something like that because it's real uh, rather than just going to being the bag boy for some central politician and, and having no say or over yeah. anything and you're just lost in a world of symbols there too. Their whole job yeah. is like, what's the best symbols to manipulate people into doing this or not doing that? It's not like, you know, they're not, it's not really real because those decisions are being made by yeah. other people. They're not really, you know, the guys you'll see aren't, they aren't, they aren't the billionaire guys that I is talking about that are running things. There's more than 600 now. There's probably a 1200 now. I don't know. Cause of tech revolution. Um, the online stuff, there's there's more of them now. But still, it's not that many people. And the ones that were the most power, probably you don't see. Uh, this is like factual. You don't really need to have a conspiracy mind for this. It's just 
if your some actions have more effects on on the system of how things work than others, and only a few people are in charge of those actions. So, like you know, moving large amounts of money around and stuff can change everything that's happening in a country, including all the things people post about on Twitter. It's like a function later of some guy just decided to move money here and do this, and you know, planning his own thing, and um, everyone's reacting to it, thinking that they're causing these trends when they're when they're not. Yeah, yeah, it's more like a commentary at a horse race or something for for most people. Um, yeah, you know, Hyatt cared about power too, right? It's an interesting part of his philosophy because he was Nietzschean as 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 hell, <laughs> as far as I can tell. And he's probably one of the few people I've ever read that it. Like I feel truly enacted kind of what Nietzsche said, or at least my interpretation. Um, so, so it was interesting because I do recall him saying that he didn't like political, I think he called them psychopaths. Um, so, or individuals as, as we're talking about it now. And he personally detested them, but nevertheless, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't the type that, that thought power as such was bad. In fact, he wrote several books detailing, you know, in quite abstract terms, how power itself and how people with power who had power interact with, with one another, um, you know, in quite a lot of detail, or, you know, I think it was in the psychopaths Bible, right. Where he really went into detail about how all these dynamics work. And I, I don't pretend to understand a lot of that book still, at least the first section, you know, I, I still, read it every now and then I'm like I still don't really get this <laughs> but but he's not like a, a hippy dippy kind of guy who's like oh all power is bad man you know like he he was kind of like all for it um even though he preferred personal power and and personal self overcoming and probably wealth just to further his own aims and interests he he definitely wasn't like a you know, a spiritual type that was against power as such by any stretch, which is, is, is another thing that really defines him from other people in, in these kinds of circles that he just didn't, didn't reject, uh, power entirely. Although it is interesting to think about definitions of, of power, I guess. Um, I, I think maybe his definition now that I think about it would be something more like, uh, power would be derived from just maybe the process of overcoming himself and just being able to do the things that he wanted to do with maximum flexibility. Maybe that would be power to him. Um, you know, when I think about it, maybe if you're engaged in the political process, just using that as an example, there's no reason why, even if you had outward power, you cared about having outward power, that the process of overcoming yourself in order to obtain that wouldn't also be a massive part of that that process potentially if you were to to play the game that way or you liked political power um yeah just in a, in a general sense he wasn't against it um by any stretch i think it's pretty clear in his books when when you read them he uh seemed to quite like it actually um okay i guess we'll we'll just move on with the next part because that was quite short. And that's what you're talking about when you say they speak in cliches and slogans. Yeah, not a set of slogans like a mathematician or uh, symbols that a mathematician or a true scientist would speak in because those are conveniences as well as 
keeping things as clear as possible so we can accomplish something. Mm -hmm. But if you're at a business meeting and Bill says, well, I want to take over this corporation here, and the first thing you hear from five of the MBAs is, well, what's going to be the impact? Then you know you're in the wrong meeting. You should be in the meeting which says, okay, we know what the impacts are. How are we going to get around them? How are we going to negotiate our way out of this or into it? Mm -hmm. That's how the real players play with each other. They speak, if you would, like a mathematician speaks, but it's still in code. But they understand their codes, and all their codes have things to do. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. This reminds me of, um, well, several meetings I've been in recently, actually. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, I still have to work a job because you guys won't pay me to do this full time. So, um, Selfish bastards. Yeah, fuckers, right? So, so I um, uh, sit in meetings, often with people with MBAs, um, several people with MBAs, actually, at the moment. And you see this d dynamic all the time. You can spend hours in a meeting where someone can say something, or someone could be speaking rather for a long time, 10, perhaps 20 minutes. And afterwards, you sit there and you have absolutely no fucking clue of what they were just talking about. And I don't think that's my attention. That's a problem. I think that they've managed to set up a bit of a smokescreen in the fact that their words have absolutely no meaning whatsoever. Um, just complete nonsense, complete abstract rubbish, waffle. There may be other intentions, maybe to impress other managers who have MBAs because they want a promotion or something like that. But very often, um, people speak in, in ways in which there is no concrete uh, action connected to the abstraction that they choose to employ. Very often, it's it's pageantry or peacocking, um, all sorts of things. Um, but in terms of trying to achieve a technical result, so if you're a business owner, you're a guy who uh, just wants to get something done, just wants to get the deal done, those are the kinds of people that you don't want working for you, or at least you don't want them controlling the projects necessarily that uh, you put together. And it's a definite tendency, particularly people who are educated in business or have other silly degrees like that, um, tend to suffer from this a great deal. Um, this, this inability to use language in a very concrete and specific way. Whereas I find that the engineers that I work with uh, suffer maybe from the opposite problem. They're almost too autistically concrete <laughs> to, to, uh, you know, achieve certain things in many ways. But it is interesting that he mentions this. But of course, this goes into pretty much everything that we've been talking about at the moment, rational and non-rational language and all the different uh, elements of language. That as far as I can tell, what he's referring to here is the ability that some people have to to use, first of all, use language as a tool. Second of all, to recognize that language is very much operational. And this is something that I really get behind. Um, 
language can be fun. You know, you can have a good conversation with people and, you know, throw language around uh, for leisure, that's for sure. But in terms of using language for concrete aims, you know, like in this the case that he raised a business acquisition or building a bridge or putting a rocket into space, there is, there needs to be uh, an operational level to what you're saying, a concrete, relatable, tangible use of the language. Um, and this has far-reaching consequences. The consequences are that uh, most of us, most of the time, use language in the opposite way. Uh, and we have very little idea that we're doing that because we don't really control the way that we use our language because we're not brought up to have this knowledge. We don't really understand that it is just a tool. And of course, the the impact of this is that uh, we very much get lived by language. We get lived by our beliefs. Um, and a, a lot of the, the process Dr. Hyatt puts people through um, is really freeing up the person from the illusions of language, um, freeing people up from these abstractions and demanding a kind of specificity um, in the way that people use language. Um, it could be self-referential language, so language that we use to describe ourselves. It could just be language that we use to describe situations or language that we use in our day-to-day -day lives for, for our jobs or whatever it is. There are many exercises and techniques that, uh, that he uses that uh, specifically des designed to um, unravel the non-specificity in language, but also to induce a kind of more disciplined approach uh, and rigorous approach to how we understand and utilize language. And I think we've already gone through that in many, many episodes that we've had so far, but I just say that in general, um, a lot of, a lot of the way that I think about things, um, probably primarily comes from Korzybski, which is where I think that, uh, Dr. Hyatt probably did get a lot of his insights into language from at least on a high level. Um, but also Dr. Hyatt has, has been instrumental in, in shaping my view of words and language um, in, in this respect. But it is funny just to see in day-to-day -day life, um, you know, how with this awareness and particularly with this awareness that you yourself have, so I'm not counting myself out of this at all, but it is interesting to observe people um, in, in these kinds of situations and, uh, and really, just people just say a whole lot of fucking bullshit <laughs> most of the time. Like it, it's real nonsense, um, particularly in the work uh, situation where you you would expect that that would not be the case because you you do tend to have quite specific aims that you set out to achieve. Um, but anyway, I guess it's the difference between a good good employee and a bad one, um, largely. But yeah, just it's also why there's that like. There's a clash between the, you know, like the active managing director type, you know, the type who's actually executive, he's, he's executing things, he's trying to get it done, uh, who has an incentive because he's making money, you know, he's got shares in the company or whatever. He is talking a different language than the people who just did a job and they're just saying whatever they need to say to keep the job. You know, it's like they're saying what they think people need to hear and stuff. So there, there's already a objective clash between the way people are going to need to be used language 
So it makes it even harder to get things done when it when it's you know relying on people to do the things that aren't uh, either emotionally invested in the thing being done, which most people aren't at their corporate jobs, or are um, there for just doing what they need to do to get the money. So a lot of the MBAs mm-hmm. just have to be there to sound smart because they're t- they're meant to be understanding things. So they have to say all the words to demonstrate they understand things. It's not about actually doing it, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I know there's exceptions, but, um, and again, it goes back to the type of person who's like to do the things probably isn't the same as the type of person who wants to learn about how to do the things and talk about how to do the things. They want to do the things. I mean, you get this online too. Um, uh, it's similar to the spiritual esoteric types as well, where they are, a lot of them are talking about all the stuff all the time and reading all the books, but they're not actually doing the practices. You know, how many people are reading hundreds of books about Buddhism and not actually doing very much meditation as one yeah. example. Yeah. Um, how many people are watching UFC fights and not doing any training? Uh, you know, like there's many examples of this where people just want to wallow and enjoy the theory yeah. and not be involved in the practice, which is fine in some ways or whatever, but it's not. Um, and again, it's the same thing online where they're talking about all the politics, but not actually doing it. You know, somebody doing these things that you don't like, so you could be there doing something else. But no, they would rather just comment and react to what's what's happening around them. Uh, and then, was at one point, what people were saying seemed to push the needle and have an effect on things that were happening. Now they think that it always is the cause. You know, they've got cause and effect upside down mm. between things, which is a, another um, problem with language. What I like about Hyatt is he was... Had the techniques and the ideas for overcoming language and being able to, you know, not fall into the trap of words or things controlled by the words. But he also wasn't like the naive spiritual types where you just have to get out of the mind, lose the mind, get all these words, the intellect's bad, mm. and uh, forget all that stuff and everything will just run perfectly, get out of your own way kind of idea. He wasn't like that either. It was smash up the stuff that's useless reconstruct it in a better way and use it as a tool um, for your your higher aims, whatever they are. Yeah. Um, you can't do, you can't even have higher aims if you're just a, a slave to your own reactions. Yeah, for sure. The more of a slave you are to your own reactions, the easier you are for other people to control you. That's what people forget. Whether you, if you can't just sit upright at a computer without your body and mind contorting your posture against your will, what makes you think you can stop feeling you and getting you to do things against your will? Uh, as one example, you know, if you can't, you say you're going to fast. I mean, it's a bad example. I don't fast very, very often. But you say you're going to fast and give up after two hours and eat something. And you tell some story about why you need to eat to do it. have to, you know, or you give up before you do. If you can't even make yourself do basic stuff like this that you could do, how are you going to do anything else? And how are you going to stop somebody else doing it? Hmm. Um, and you you probably haven't accepted how much of a machine robot asleep zombie you are unless you've had like some really kind of emotional shock crisis breakdown when you realize it because it's really not pleasant at all especially if you're interested in the stuff about being awakened and uh you know this and how stupid everybody is and how reactive everybody else is and when you really start seeing it yourself it's horrible yeah and it should be because then you use that horrible feeling to as fuel to to um, develop your bio individuality. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's probably Which doesn't mean <clears throat> being a guy on his own against everybody else either. You know, if people yeah. think we're saying that it's not about being some kind of a lone wolf guy. It's none of that either. You know, it's bring from yourself and then moving on to higher things. That, that's the the primary requirement, isn't it? Just when you <clears throat> you were saying that just now. Sorry, is is. A person that wants to engage in this work has to be really just willing to face themselves. Um, and I find that to be a really unusual trait. I don't see that often. I, for example, you know, the other day, uh, someone, someone posted a, um, you know, a meme, not a meme, but a cutout from a book where a Zen monk was saying that everyone is essentially delusional. Some, you know, as they do, they say that. You know, you're all living in fucking la-la land, which is true, which is true. I can't deny that. But what was interesting was, you know, okay, so you're posting this for what reason? Because you want to call everyone else a fucking dickhead, but you yourself, by posting it, are implying that you yourself are not uh, uh, the same way as everyone else. I understand. I, I'm not deluded. It's just everyone else is, who's deluded. Um, so I often ask, like, how much of this stuff that these guys are posting do they do they use on the, themselves as a kind of mirror? Like, okay, sure, everyone is deluded to varying degrees, but what about me? Um, have I looked at myself in such a way? And it's this that separates the people who are going to be good at this work from the people who are not going to be good at this work because this work is by its nature introspective it's not about going out and judging everyone else out there and saying that you know you're all idiots i'm perfect although sometimes it can feel that way <laughs> but it, but it's mostly about measuring your own reactions maybe taking the words of a zen master or you know nietzsche or wh whoever it is and and really looking at yourself, like, how is this applicable to me? How am I limiting myself in, in these ways? And of course, you know, as you were saying, this is very unpopular. It's never going to be popular for this reason. This, this part when, is When you go to post, I mean, you can ask yourself, what benefit, what, like, uh, what, what benefit am I getting out of doing this? As in like, um, what emotional reason am I doing this right now? Am I doing it to just feel smart? What does feel smart mean? It means other people think well of me, you know. So it's like, is that the, is that why you're doing it? Are you posting something because you want to share something that you think would help someone else? That's a different reason. Are you share? Are you, um, you know, like, uh, are you just fascinated by this idea and you want to explore it more? You're not sure yet. And like, if you actually think, stop, and ask yourself. I mean, what benefit do I get from this behavior or this action? Mm. Uh, sometimes they're really horrible reasons you're doing the pathetic reasons mm. you're doing. um it's in denial it's like you know it's like saying the opposite of whatever so i mean i noticed myself was and i'm i reckon everybody is doing this is the more i was like posting about different things on twitter and the more i would the days i would talk more about posture and what people were doing wrong and what they should do was always the days i was having a bad day it was always the days mine was worse <laughs> So I yeah. thought, huh. Yeah. And then I noticed that I was like, huh, this is just pure, like I'd rather run to other people than actually deal with my own just now and go and do some practices that would help with it or whatever. Because that's like, I don't want to do that. That goes back to the making yourself do what you want to do. 
it's just more pleasant to do it this way. Yeah. So it was like, oh, okay. So everyone else probably the more they're talking about things, probably it's because they're that's the thing missing for them. It may, you know, it's very analytical kind of thing to say, but it's true in many ways. Um, you know, even the guy going on and on about one really hardcore political ideological thing probably is because he's trying to cover up the fact that he's feeling other things opposite to that. You know, um, you know, like some many of the activists on all sides. Mm. Uh, I just uh, trying or trying, you know, the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> they're they're going too far. There's they're going so far into it. It makes me think, makes me suspicious. Yeah. You know, like uh, I find myself uh, of Simon. Something really annoys me. I think, oh, uh, this is probably because closet advocate of whatever this thing is. You know, I'm against. Mm-hmm. So, like for me, one of the ones is uh, the I really can't stand the. Simulation hypothesis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just think it's, stupid. it's yeah. like it's been annoying me for ages, right? And I know I've said before, I like Donald Hoffman stuff. Yeah, yeah. Although he doesn't quite, he's not similar. It's not quite, it's not, that that's it, not yeah. what he's saying. It's yeah. more complex. It's different. Yeah. And um, it's not new. They think it's a new idea. So that's annoying. Okay, that's fair enough. It's okay. So I might just be saying it because it's annoying. But really what it was is it was ruining my sense of superiority because I felt superior because I'd already thought about those things when I was young. That what if it's all made up in a simulation, whatever? Uh, and it felt like people were catching up to those things now, but I was no longer. It was no longer my special. I'm, I'd thought about that, and other people hadn't. And it was no longer. Um, it, it would make me feel to point out the fact that this has been said before. Like I just said, this has been said before in better ways. You know, now I'm projecting superiority. I've read more than you because that's the thing that annoyed me. They so badly read a lot of these people, which is true, and they think that simulation theory is a new idea, which is not. It's yeah. just said in a different way, and um, yeah. it's just for many, and it doesn't answer any question. So, like logically, I can justify it because I have a reaction to it because the, it's illogical. It doesn't explain anything. Okay, cool. There's an aliens computer. We live inside the computer. Okay, who made the aliens world, and how does that all work? You know, you're just shunting back the problem. You know, like they're not explaining anything. And uh, again, which has all been even like Christian theologian talk about this stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, so there's nothing new about it, but that's not really what was motivating me to to run about. What was motivating me about was um, superiority and um, uh, my uh, it's just superiority is really what it what it boils down to. Uh, yeah. So I mean that's just one example. Recently, that's recent. So like all through your life, all other things where you hate certain things, you hate certain people. You know, high school student hates this kind of music because everyone else likes it, but they like the music. <laughs> everyone does it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I um, yeah. So, it, you know, it it makes you think about free will. It's it's a good way to think about free will and and kind of what a silly concept it is. Just in the way that you're describing it now, there's all these forces that are going on behind whatever you think that you are, that are constantly influencing what we do, which is something Hyatt was was huge on talking about. So for example, it, you know, you could be in a bad mood, as you were saying, you could be in a bad mood because the weather's hot. Um, I think one time you described maybe you've got gas and you're in a bad mood because of that. Um, there could be all these physical things that are happening to you that, that are creating this mood. Um, it could be circumstances in your life. 
Um, it could be just your physiology in general. Um, so all these different sub subconscious, or just say subconscious things are happening in the background that are determining your reactivity to a certain exter external stimuli at, at any time. Um, and, and Twitter is very interesting for that. It, it was kind of what I was trying to get at before very inefficiently was it's more interesting to observe maybe, you know, what's going on in the background, not the statement itself. And, and I think that's also applicable to people in, in day-to-day -day life as well. When people react to something, when you react to something, it's, it's, you know, it's probably more useful not to even listen to the reaction, but to, to view the person like as a, like, I wonder what's going on here. Like it's almost like a process, like a force of nature in front of you. Like, like what is going on in the external environment and the internal environment and the reactions that these two things are having or the interactions that these two things are having to cause this momentary reactivity. And a large part of the work, I think, is understanding what's going on in the background better than what you do now. And that gives you the ability then to control your reactivity. So for example, just in my own case, since we're being honest here, I like to blow people up about 10 o'clock my time, which is just after I finished all these boring fucking morning meetings that drive me around the bend. So I think that part of my motivation, logically speaking, is that I want to carve out a bit of a space on Twitter just to say, okay, the politics stuff is over there. You're all doing that. But just if you want to come over here, if you're interested, you know, we have a slightly different way of interpret interpreting things. And of course, I use rhetoric because that's what you got to do on Twitter. But there's also um, an element of physiological excitability. So I've just gotten out of these meetings. I might have higher levels of frustration that I normally would have. It's the morning, so I'm extremely energetic. I may not be as fully conscious of my breathing or my posture or other things like this. So there's definitely a tendency around about that time where I enjoy blowing people up. Like it's just a rather petty aggression that I take out on the world around me with, with some minor degree of strategy and also saying things that I do believe would help people. Because I do think what I say would help people if they have ears to hear what, what I'm getting at. But nonetheless, there, there is like there's a whole thing behind that that has created that particular reaction. Um, <clears throat> and that, you know, I can't strictly claim that I'm doing everything fully consciously the whole time. In fact, um, a couple of days ago, I went on a rant because I've been going on rants lately. Um, and, and halfway through typing it, because I, I do do it uh, fairly spontaneously. I don't like plan it out or go, I'm going to do this at 10 o'clock and write it the night before. It's just kind of what grabs me, which, you know, that, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing if you're writing creatively. Like if you, you grab something and that's what you want to write about. I never really know what I'm going to write. Um, and usually it's something that someone has tweeted that, that really gets to me or I, I find to be deluded in the sense that I'm trying to show is deluded, which is no shortage of that material online. But I can't deny 
that when I did it, I became conscious of my body shape and my breathing halfway through writing a, sh- a thread. And I'm like, fuck, like my, my breathing is fucking shallow. It's quick. I'm not breathing deeply. Um, I was hunched over like a uh, golem, like, it, yeah, it just wasn't a nice, nice picture. And if I had a camera on me, which I actually didn't, um, this morning, you know, I would look at that afterwards and I'd be like, what the fuck is this all about? And you have to ask yourself a question at that point. Was that worth it? Is, is the result I'm getting tangible? Is it just an indulgence? Is it an, an indulgence or a reaction of my physiology and the state that I am in at that time? Um, am I stronger or weaker now that I've done that? Exactly. Yeah, am I stronger or weaker? Am I, am I enhanced or diminished? And this is something that you've always, like, you've got to be brutally honest with yourself. And probably when, when I evaluate it, I, I guess you could say it's a work in progress. Maybe if you were being generous. But then maybe it could, could could be done better. Maybe there's there's other ways to do it. Um, but at least from a physiological standpoint, that particular thread was probably largely diminishing. And I probably really just alienated people who don't fully understand what I'm saying. It was probably just a bit of an egotistical indulgence. But again, I, I do still feel like you know, you know, those things are probably okay within reason every now and then, um, as long as they're not habitual. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, it's probably my example. Of course, you have to have fun. This, yeah. You have to have fun yeah. and, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, and <clears throat> joking around and fooling around with other primates. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, like, uh, and they were fucking wrong, by the way. They were wrong. And you know who you are. <laughs> they would be listening well, to see, this. Well, this, this is the thing as well. Uh, you know, the intellectual... Um, rightness or wrongness or the, the judgment, whether the judgment right or wrong can be a different issue than the uh, motivations for you doing it. So like, you know, you can have different motivations and still be using true things. So like it would be, it would be nice if everyone just went on the Twitter and said, I have too much gas today. Fuck you. I hate you all. You <laughs> yeah. know, like it just yeah, was yeah. more honest. Yeah. So, but I mean, you can actually read some tweets that you can tell this person's having a bad day. Yeah. They're not feeling good or they some guy sometimes I get a feeling this guy's just paranoid his wife's cheating on him. That's what this <laughs> that's what this tweet means. Sometimes I think that. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. it's too, but for a lot of them is a lot of them are just drunk and angry and frustrated at their life. So they're just like it comes out, but they're not gonna say that. What they comes out is uh they engage with some idea or some um event or whatever and then have their twisted view on this event. Uh, but really it's it's gas or it's uh, jealousy or it's anger or whatever, frustration. Um, but the game is to see this for yourself. What you're saying there reminds me of the reason why sometimes it's better not to get involved at all than to become aware of it and then not do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you're better to just never start because you can just live a life in the dream and not even notice any of the stuff that we're talking about. It's not even a thing for them. You know, it's like to be aware of what you're doing and notice the pattern and then go, how can I change that? It's just not a thing for lots, most, most people probably. So like, but if you do start noticing these things about you and then you do nothing about it, you'll just now have this other layer of feeling bad and narrating to yourself about what a bad person and what a robot I am and I can't seem to change. You know, like now you've got this other thing on top of being a robot, just be the sleeping <laughs> robot would be better. Yeah, um, yeah. So 
now you have to do something about it. Now you've started, you're halfway, you know, it's better to, yeah. um, it's better to just have never started than to be, to, to be half done, but not right. that you'd ever be done. You're always working on something, you know, you'd always, uh, it's always the things that you're doing and that's the game. You know I mean? There's, you're living a life as a, listening to this as some kind of primate body under on a planet. So those are some rules that you're living under. Although yeah. the rules aren't as strict as we thought. If you can do the extreme things you can do that will change some of the rules uh, or show that some of the rules are not quite what they seem, which is, you know, Hyatt does have that bigger um, philosophy of it, that uh, there are powers humans can develop that are beyond normal human powers. But he doesn't start, or at least in his later stuff, he isn't starting with that. He's starting with the, the mundane stuff. You have to get mm. that down first. Yeah. I think we've, we've hit two and a bit of hours. Um, I wonder, I, I think we're going to have to come back to this. This may, it may in fact have to be a whole series, I think, to, to even get through sure. to 20 minutes. But I think that'll be uh, a good use of our time, fill up a couple of episodes. Because, yeah, I, I recommend people go to the, to the original Falcon. That's the original Falcon uh, website. And um, pick up his books if you're interested. Um, are there any you'd recommend, Kevin, that people start with? I'm just thinking off the top of my head. You probably probably want to start with maybe something like um, I don't know. Are you there? Can you hear me? I think you've cut out. Yellow. Sorry, sorry, I was no, uh, no, you're right. um, the lie is human. The lie is it, human. Uh, yeah. Good one. If you're interested in the language kind of stuff, overcoming the traps of language, that's about that. Uh, for young guys, most young guys are probably going to like, uh, which you can take the name with a grain of salt. The, yeah, or To Lies Human. Then his Black Book series is my favorite, the later stuff, where that's where he talks about the bio-individual. I prefer yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's good, good stuff. I think you can, you can get all the Black Books in one, one edition now. Nick's, uh, Nick Thatcher. And also his main, his, fam- his most famous book, Un- Undoing Yourself, is a lot of good stuff. And um, it's kind of the first parts of it anyway, has a lot of good stuff about the connection social and, f- and uh, physical that I like. Yeah. And it's a yeah, it's, to read, you know, pictures and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, that's the first one I read, I think, um, thinking back yeah, to it all. I think, yeah, and doing yourself. Yeah. Probably there's a, his introduction to that is interesting. It's about a lot of the, some of these themes that he talks about in that interview and the, uh, yeah, the main bit of undoing yourself is good. Yeah. Yeah. And then he has DVD series and stuff as well. If people want to go. Yeah, if you want to go balls balls to the wall, um, but that's just more of the tape. So, like that's like yeah, the DVDs are more about specific methods. Um, but I mean, a lot of the things he's saying, you can devise your own methods or find your own methods. You don't necessarily need to do the exact same things. Uh, but the the ideas still stand as far as I'm concerned. Well, yeah, I mean, as mm. as I say, I think the ideas, the um, philosophy, the bio individual philosophy, stands on its own, and you can 
people can do whatever methods they, they want. I have some methods I teach, um, not in the context of how it's worked, but, you know, thinking about more now that we've been doing this, um, but it fits into that, the same kind of goals, you would say, of, yeah. you know, methods for self-overcoming, <clears throat> techniques for um, extreme self-change. I think I get that phrase from how it is, extreme self-change. Um, but uh, again, we're we're... This is, a, this is a minority of the game we're playing here. Most people aren't interested. <laughs>